Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Maze and Perplex podcast. One, welcome back. Uh, it's been a lot longer than we initially anticipated. Whole host of circumstances. If you live in the Oklahoma, you know, southern region or whatever, you'll know that we have like lot, lots of different weather events, sicknesses, uh, just stuff kind of conspiring against us um, to record. Uh, I don't know if the stuff is Satan or, you know, the wh- whatever weatherman you hate the most. Or maybe they needed to rest. Yeah, that's very possible. That's very possible. Um, But we're excited to be back. And so we have some long term plans. Um, Eventually, whether it's next week or the week after, we'll be jumping into uh, the story of Elijah. And we have a new kind of spin on that. And we'll talk to you a little bit more about that when we get there. Um, But it's something that Jason has put a lot of work into and I put some marginal work into. And so we're excited to see kind of a new, slightly new thing that we're going to try to do. But just we thought for our first episode back of the new year that we would uh, we would just kind of do an old class. We'd go back to the old Jesus guy uh, and talk about a story that we uh, we've talked around, but we have not specifically processed through this passage. Yeah. So the context is Luke chapter seven, and I'm going to begin reading in 31. But the what has happened is that that comes before this is John the Baptist had sent a messenger uh, to Jesus to ask if he was really the Messiah. Effectively, Jesus answered him. Then he turns to the crowd. So John is still in prison alive. And he turns to the crowd and he asks them, he uses the opportunity to talk about their faith and what drew them to John. He knows his audience very well. <clears throat> and it's a mixed audience of of leaders and people, people who believed in John, were baptized by John, um, and then Pharisees there. And so Jesus, I, I think, gives a really fascinating—I'm I'm excited about processing this because it gives a fa- just a fascinating, uh, like, step back and consider what's the motivation of of the audience. So beginning in verse 31, he says this. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So, my friend Connor, uh, as you process it, this, what jumps out at you? What amazes you? Uh, I think what amazes me is how relatable I find Jesus here. Uh, and not to say that uh, what I'm going to say going forward might sound like, oh, man, like all of my beliefs about the world and all my opinions on on relationships and how things should be and how things should get solved are right and completely in line with Jesus. That's where I'd like to be, but I, I recognize that's not the case. Um, but it, it's so, it's so, it's so funny to me how Jesus calls out. I don't want to say both sides, but he, he speaks directly to um, the, the, this. He speaks directly to this urge in all of us to, um, to always look for a reason to not agree or to not move, to not believe. Um, and and I think this is just one of those really powerful things that I have to remind myself, whether it's day-to-day life or my relationship with God or when I'm interacting with other people. Like we, myself included to the extreme, we are all looking for a reason to not be moved away from 
where we are currently. Um, even a lot of times if we're in a pretty painful place, if it's not completely excruciating, um, we can usually find a way to not be moved, to not change, to stay exactly where we are. And it, it can be so frustrating because oftentimes when we find like, like here's the thing, Jesus makes this really beautiful analogy, like a brilliant analogy. And um, it, it, it can seem so silly, right? You go like, of course, like when you lay it out like that, that's so ridiculous. But if you spent all your time and like, oh, you grew up around people that were like, you know, you, you grew up around people that were self-righteous, um, self-righteous monks who starved themselves, who fasted, and that's how they um, showed their purity and their righteousness to everyone around you. And John the Baptist came doing something that looks similar. You would have a natural inclination to not want to believe that he was um, doing a good new thing. And so for me, it's just like it, there's maybe that's my maybe I moved on my perplexion accidentally. So I'll wrap us back around to my amazement. It's just amazing to me um, how clearly Jesus lays this out and how accurately it describes. Uh, just this aspect of the human condition. Yeah, I love that. I'll jump in with that. That That's what amazed me. I'll frame it this way. How committed humanity is and was to being unhappy. <laughs> like, it, it's. I remember somebody was saying, we were, we were processing, um, oh, Peter in the boat, watching Jesus walk in the water, and why don't we step out? And And that's just a tremendous metaphor. It always applies. What is it about me that keeps me from engaging? And I think that's great self-awareness and, and good to process that in your own self. And she framed it by, well, I know my craziness. I know my unsettledness. I know my stupidity. Mm -hmm. But to step out in brand new unknown, it's, it's what's that old phrase, the devil you know versus the devil you don't, you know. And, and I love – I love that Jesus can step out of the heat of this. I'm not even contemplating right now, so I'm, let me take a moment to think, what does it feel like? It's not just like a cousin, because depending on your relationship with cousins, that may not have any you know, connection or affection for, for you, the listener, or, or us. But the first person to acknowledge him, I mean, this is the person that that leapt in the womb. Like, So this is pre-knowledge from Jesus' perspective, as far as I know, if he's a normal, you know, person in the womb. But, but you know, John is, is the first one to say, look, this is the Messiah. There is something special. And he took all of his reputation. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where somebody has reputation and you wish you did as, as being credible and trustworthy mm -hmm. and wise, and they give you some of that. I mean, John the Baptist is the first one to do that. And now you, you have the relational dynamic where John the Baptist is in prison. Maybe Jesus even knows he's going to die, you know, uh, and John is I think, and we made this case like our first episode or second episode, John makes this appeal, I think, to say, hey, are you going to come save me? And Jesus just said functionally no. Mm -hmm. And then he, he he extols John. So he's got all this emotion going on. And I wonder, now this is that humanity piece of Jesus, is a little of Jesus' humanity saying, like, I guess the question to me is, why share this now? Why do this step away? It's kind of a meta narrative. He's like, do you see all this stuff that's happening? Can I tell you about you? Because he's not talking <laughs> hypothetically. He's saying, these people in front of me, meaning you, the audience, you're unpleasable. Mm -hmm. You're unpleasable. And here's the other thing is you set rules that you think, oh, man, that just mind-blowing to me. You set rules that you think are absolutes, and I'm telling you they're functionally irrelevant. That's mm -hmm. staggering because when you said um, about John the Baptist looked a little like the Pharisees, I'm like, yeah, I never thought about that. He was coming in that vein in terms of the ascetic nature, the fasting, this kind of stuff. Jesus comes along and he literally gets asked, why are your disciples not fasting? You know, mm -hmm. like John's are. So there is this comparison. Um, now, the opposite of John is, of course, or the opposite of the Pharisees is John's way out. He's not seeking power in that in that same way. 
but the bottom line is but if you were to vote fo- but at any point and if you caught john on the wrong day or all you had heard was what your buddy had said who had you know gone out to the wilderness or whatever like your perspective on what john is doing could be skewed and if that was all you knew and that was like okay i'm going to build my thoughts on john or build my thoughts on what god is doing here and now in this in the you know kingdom of israel under you know the rule of, of rome if i was to like i, I think this is a massive part of what could jesus could be talking about is we tend to one to not be happy like you're talking about but two we also tend to build so much of our thoughts and identity on an incomplete premise or not even or something that god never even intended to be a premise for thought or belief or way we do something that is exactly what i needed that dynamic there it's amazing that jesus would take the time and whatever emotion he was experiencing to say do you see yourself do you see your, do you see yourself and how neither of these perspectives are really useful to you you know now now what perplexes me is it will come up and it kind of i don't i don't know what to make of that piece yet hence the perplexion but <laughs> but it is that dynamic of this is such a cutting thing and then when i look at myself i'm like okay what premises am i basing my life on the way i treat people the way i teach the way i live my life um, that are not well thought out you know, and I'm not even suggesting the evil ones. I'm talking about the good ones. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I wonder if that's you, you kind of commented that, like, it does seem like Jesus zooms out here to kind of make a meta, a meta, you know, observation on what's going on here. And I wonder if that's why we kind of get that feeling from this passage, because one, this is, you know, you can use this metaphor and, and map it pretty closely onto what his audience might have been feeling about a specific issue. But two, um, the easy thing was if it was just completely like if it if it was direct teaching right if it was completely direct teaching on hey you're messing up on this and this is how you're not this you're viewing it completely wrong then we could maybe escape the idea of like well maybe we could escape the idea that um that jesus wants to tell us that we are constantly living our lives based on false premises and constantly making decisions based on um, things that Jesus doesn't find interesting and doesn't find compelling. <laughs> right. I, I love the way it doesn't find interesting. And if he doesn't find it interesting, that means it's not valuable yeah, you know, and I for, think, for life. Yeah, and, I love that. And I think so many times, I think there have been answers to my prayers before where I had really, I had like a big concern about something and I went to God with it over and over and over again and not in a mean way and not in a harsh way, but I, I remember there's a specific example I'm thinking of where the answer from God for me was like, Connor one, I care. Like it was like, I, I could feel the care that God had for how I was feeling in the situation, but the intensity of which I was, uh, I was stressing over a specific act that had happened was like, man, Connor, like you, like this, this it, it, for me, what felt like God was like, I am not interested in that for you. Like I am not, um, that, that is not what I, what you should be focusing on. Um, and I, and I think it is important to remind ourselves. I do think oftentimes the things we, especially like churchy, like in churchy settings, when we get really amped up about it, things, maybe not directly to us, but I think oftentimes if God, if Jesus was to address a congregation, he would just be like the things that you worry about, just, I do not find interesting or compelling at all. Wow. Um, and I, and, and I mean, and the reality becomes one we could, it's easy to say that about the church. How many things, if Jesus walked in on Sunday, would he be like, yeah, this is what, what, what how does this pertain to what I came to do? Or, you know, how does this connect? Um, but the scarier question goes about how I live my life personally. Um, and not to say that like, <laughs> and when I say interest, I'm not saying like Jesus would be like, walk in and be like, see your, you know, what is NBA basketball? How is the NBA basketball interesting to you? Um, but maybe the obsession and the what, whatever. I'm going down too much of a rabbit hole. No, but, but. Uh, to take that, uh, yeah, when you were talking through that, I'm like, yeah, I just imagine myself in my mind. So I was sitting there with Jesus, 
and this is the this is the magic of Jesus to me, the amazing piece of Jesus, is I think he would say, Jason, none of that's interesting to me. And that's a way I've never framed anything that Jesus would say to me, but it draws me in. Mm-hmm. Like when you say, if I'm going on and on about the NBA and you're like, Jason, that doesn't interest me. I'm like, oh, I, I that's a loss in our relationship. I'm like, oh, okay. Not just the lack of interest in the NBA, but you're shutting me down. I think... Well, it depends on what you're wanting. Yeah. If I'm saying, Jesus, I did all these things, I want your approval, and he said that doesn't interest me. And we could use 15 other ways of saying that that Jesus does say, you know. Mm-hmm. Get behind me, Satan, would be a harsh way that Jesus says, this does not interest me, you know, for example. But I think I think what's interesting in our culture for how important it is that you validate, and I'm, I'm not saying like culture, I'm saying myself, how important it is you validate my interests, my, like, the things I like to do and the things that I really draw identity from. Man, I think... For many people, the idea of Jesus saying what you are talking about or what you're focusing on is not interesting to me could be more damning for them um, personally than hearing Jesus say, get behind me, Satan, would have been for Peter. <laughs> that's, yeah, I think you're I think you're right, man. That's really, really good. So trying to, my takeaway in this piece of it is that that picture of him sitting with me and saying, Jason, that doesn't interest me. Does that draw me in? Am I thinking, oh, what does interest you? Or am I like, oh. Yeah. I'm offended because I think how this plays out in real life is I pray for something. I want something. It doesn't happen. Then I feel a little bit betrayed by God. Mm-hmm. What he's really saying is that doesn't interest me because mm-hmm. it's not for your good. It won't lead to kingdom stuff, whatever it is. Yeah. The, and the thing that I think Jesus, Jesus could specifically speak to in this situation and a lot of our situations is we go, Jesus, there's option A and there's option B. And Jesus goes, those are two just stupid options. <laughs> right. And I'm not interested in following any of those. Yes. Um, and so here, you know, here's, here's the third way. But for us, oftentimes we get this narrow-minded vision of it can only be this way or that way, or maybe even a third way. And Jesus just goes, none of those options are compelling. None of those options are things that bring about life yes. or that are a major pillar of the kingdom of God. Um, and I think sometimes Jesus wants to be harsh in that way to shake us loose, because if all we can see is the one or two options um, and Jesus says, you know, Jesus says, Hey, that's not what this is about. We're going to pull away because we're like, well, then he, if he doesn't say this right, right way, he must think it's going to be the option that I don't want. When in reality, Jesus, I think, is trying to constantly jar us loose of the idea that his way is going to fit um, into into the way that we automatically – that his way is going to fit um, into a preconceived notion of how um, we are supposed to act, how a group of people are supposed to act um, in, in any given situation. Uh, yeah, that's good. Now, I'm going to jump in quick to perplexing because this is the part, well, that perplexes me. There we go. <laughs> there, all original content here, folks. Uh, verse 35, he, he's just said, you guys are children. He's just basically made the case. You're looking at this all wrong, exactly how you just articulated. And then he says, but wisdom, which is knowing how to do right from the knowledge with the knowledge you have, wisdom is proved right by all her children. I'm just going to own, I don't know, I don't know what he's talking about there. I, I like, I can give you some thoughts, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I wouldn't, after the previous verses, I wouldn't say the natural conclusion to this section, and it is a section break because the next thing is when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him in verse, what, 36, and the way that's framed, that could be days later, years later, you know, well, not years, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know if it happened right after, so this is the end of this discourse. 
but this, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. It seems to me the previous verses don't lead to this. You've just said they're unwise, and now they're they're wise. So that mm-hmm. that's one take I have on it. So I'm I bring it to you, and I'm like, you got something for me there. <laughs> so I cheated, and I'm not saying this is authoritative, but I went and looked at what what uh, Eugene Peterson has to say in the message translate or the message whatever. Yes, however yes. you would like to phrase that. Um, and so he said the way he he interprets it. Um, he says the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Um, and so what I'm wondering here, just kind of grabbing on that idea, grabbing on that awesome sentence, and then grabbing on to kind of some other some other kind of context um, around this passage, I, I'm wondering if 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 here Jesus is Jesus is. I wonder if what Jesus could be talking about is that drawing on what we talked about before when when we talk about a third way or a fourth way or or the way that you know the opposite the way that doesn't seem to be there when we're so focused on the one or the two or the a or the b and jesus comes to offer a third way i i wonder if what he could be saying is like listen um wisdom purity um all the things that we seek after all the goodness of the kingdom of god is proven um, in the lives of people who refuse to live out um, the false dichotomy that you are living your life out on, um, I, maybe maybe that's the case. I, I don't know. Um, but when we encounter people that are not bothered, that one can engage um, in in hard discussions like that Jesus engages with here, but also chooses to live out and believe in a third way, and is ultimately um, confident and unbothered. Um, by the demands of the people around them to choose A or B, I am so compelled by that person. Um, in fact, I want, this is this is one of those things that draws me so much to Jesus because when I encounter this, like in the wild in real life, when I see somebody um, live out this way in Jesus, I am so utterly and completely drawn to them um, because it just speaks to me on a whole other level. So, let me make sure I'm 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 tracking here so what you're saying is when you see someone that is truly open to god's lead so they so you experience them as free as centered as calm as ready then you watch them in action when crisis hits and they're flexible and resilient and these kind of things that's that's what draws you in because that that's another way to me of saying always open to the third option sure and i and i think for me um yeah and so but wisdom is proved right by all her children and i think um, I, I think, yeah, I think for me, it's when you see the fruit of true wisdom, which is what Jesus is trying to get out, get out of here. Um, it, that, that is what is compelling to me. Somebody that is not, um, yeah, all, all those things you said. So again, I don't know if specifically that's exactly what Jesus yeah, is talking yeah. about here, but it, it could be. Well, I like it, uh, in the, for what it's worth, I'm looking at interlinear with Greek and the Yoda version, you know, and was justified wisdom by all the children. And so it is interesting, and that word for children um, is literally children, a child. Okay, so nothing <laughs> by the distance. So I wonder if the operative word is the all, mm-hmm. um, which emphasizes the third way. And we understand by third way we mean millionth way or billionth way. You know, there's always another way. You mm-hmm. know, it's corollary to when I say um, here. How, how are we going to? I always go to this because people don't feel yet threatened by this. But when the first clone comes into your church and into your gathering. Um, and they say, I want to be saved. Will you offer them salvation? You know, mm-hmm. and I can freely say, I don't know how to handle that yet. 
and that yet speaks the volumes of, but God does. God's going to be ready for the clone conversions or however that goes, you know. And if there's never clones, that's fine because it gives me a non-threatening example to reference, you know. Or the AI conversions. That's that's what I was like. Bring now, up. see, I don't say that because we're going to start arguing about that in about a half hour in history, <laughs> you know. But that that idea that that all is that operative term that there's almost an appeal to. Uh, listen to the outlier, like implication, listen to the outlier, listen to all the body. You know, I, I think because of the professionalization of ministers where, you know, I could go on and on about that dynamic, but the idea that, yes, on one hand, most Protestants, most Christians, certainly Church of Christ, reject the, what's that, vox humana, that, that somebody speaks for God, you know, like the Pope or whoever, but largely that's how churches functions. There's one or two people that they hold the keys to the kingdom and everybody else kind of defers to their interpretation, which isn't inherently evil. It does give rise to, you know, lots of uh, abuse maybe, or at least potential for it. But it's that idea that as I walk with scripture, I want to be open to everybody God's brought me, Hmm. you know, in my orbit and trust that he's bringing me the people and, and understand there's always the third way. That, that's what's speaking to me about that. So whether that's locked tight, exactly what Jesus was saying, certainly I think that's true in other contexts. No, yeah, that I, I, de- I definitely see that. And I, I, it, I think it's certainly a part of it. Um, but what, so kind of moving on to what perplexes me. So what, this is a, maybe a small perplexion. Um, Jesus makes this comparison. Um, he says, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, here's, here's, here's the funny part that I'm, I, maybe I just need to work through here. So like, obviously I would say, I would not say Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard, but I would absolutely say that Jesus is a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Um, And so I'm just kind of now starting to maybe try to peel back. Could there even be a deeper level here of what, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, because there's this clear thing. Obviously, John the Baptist did not have a demon, and obviously, Jesus, um, obviously, Jesus was not a drunkard or a glutton. And so now, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say, is there significance to the fact that Jesus then puts in this thing that is true about him, but that people would see as negative? Like, is there, is there significance that he slips it, slips it in there, or is there, or isn't there? I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm perplexed. So in addition to, I'm just trying to, I, I want to say what I think you just said, and then you fix it, okay? Uh, so what, what we're saying is, this is what, because he says they're calling to each other, so this is what they're saying to each other, mm-hmm. uh, and it's coming out of the dynamics of almost reading their thoughts, because it says in the previous verses, they all agree it's John's teaching, or God's teaching, because they've been baptized with John the Pharisee, didn't. so there's all this disagreement in there, and contention, and he's saying that, but is there some truth I specifically in verses what 33 and 34 is there some truth to it because clearly he is a friend of tax collector sinners you know this kind of thing mm-hmm. um and it's the too much well clearly I mean there there's no sense that Jesus is an ascetic where he denies himself food and drink that John does what's interesting is now I'm I'm being I'm going to be taxed on this I don't know if you have it in easy memory uh ready recollection is the term I grew up with sorry I but that idea of did John was a hallmark of him asceticism like is is that what he calls his disciples to or is that just where he ended up because he was living in the wilderness do you remember that? that's a good question no i would have to i would have to go and look and that sounds like a question that's not like that sounds like a scholarly question that you would have like i don't don't, i'm not recalling any like direct passages where like he's not teaching people to do that you know (sighs) i don't know i now but now that you say that i'm like is there a part where he did yeah because when everybody's coming to him and he's like hey it's very 
pointed like okay soldiers you do this and you do this and you do that and and then of course you know pharisees your brood of vipers and all this you know sure. talk um but my, my point there is it's an exaggeration you take some things he did man this this is us this is humanity right here i take some things they did and if i like it huh. then all of a sudden it becomes honorable and beautiful but if i have any criticism of it it becomes its worst self so this is good okay this is helping unlock it for me um, in the, in both the things that he, that Jesus is saying that people are saying about him and John the Baptist, um, there are parts of the truth to their premise, and yet they are still corrupting. And so this is a, I think this is further emphasizing the idea that Jesus wants to throw out the premises and and the and the way that these people are viewing the situation and viewing him and viewing John the Baptist and viewing God. Um, maybe it's a further way of subverting um, subverting what. Um, the, the just the common um what the common idea in this place was for who John the Baptist was who Jesus was and what they were about um because yeah so I, I do wonder is that is, that might be why Jesus put slips that in there is because he wants us to further think and go well hey one Jesus makes a direct commentary on Jesus makes a direct commentary on the attitude and and the duality and the hypocrisy of the overall judgment and then he then said he by by putting in some of these truths he's also saying not only were you hypocritical but you didn't even have your you didn't even have you had half truths to be hypocritical about yeah oh that's really good you know it's interesting i can't even remember who i heard say it uh, but they were talking, they used the fraction two-thirds, that the devil is always two-thirds true. And I think where that was originating from is the uh, Genesis, you know, where he comes to Eve in three, chapter three, and he's like, God did X, Y, and Z, and X and Y are true. God knows this. God gives you this. The Z is the is the false part, you know, mm-hmm. um, that somehow you'll gain, you know, from this. Uh, and, uh, and Eve, of course... You know, is and and then Adam, they're they're deceived there. You know, and that's kind of his function. You know, and of course, we're not looking for a literal mathematical equation here, but just that sense that if the devil, oh, I remember Eli Hooper was talking about this last week. If the devil um, can masquerade as an angel of light, and an angel of light is good, you know, it's the masquerade that's bad. You know, but in terms of your perception, you're good. So expect the devil to share a portion of truth with you. So in other words. Every hypocrisy I have, every judgment I have that is that is false, there's a part of it that's true, and I've leaned and, and I've got to be really careful to discern, you know, step back and say, God, what is really happening here? And that's the problem. I don't like asking that question because I like certainty. I've already decided Connor's a good person. You know, if, if you're running some kind of illicit thing out of your house <laughs> that I'll eventually be implicated in, I've not noticed it yet. You know what I mean? And I will fight not to believe it despite the facts. What you don't realize, we're recording right now in my daughter's bedroom. Right under her crib are the illicit drugs. <laughs> <that> are- <laughs> Man, you do a great job hiding that. But, you know, that's the point is, and, and we do this to God sometimes and we're like, okay, this happened, so this must be the reason why. And that's our brains are created to kind of create certainty. Like subconsciously, we want to create certainty. It's hard to live in ambiguity, you know, perpetually. But it's there's a lot of big words right there. But it's it's hard to live with that uncertainty yeah. just forever and ever. So we want to lock it in. And that's okay, but we have to keep as a safeguard to our souls, keep saying, okay, what is the full truth here? This doesn't deny I have all falsehood. And I think when we have some truth, then we tend to fight for that truth, not noticing I'm also including falsehood in this. Mm. So uh, maybe I'll, maybe I could say it like this, and we could be done. 
um, some truth we tend to grasp with a, um, you know, with a strangulation grip, almost like, you know, it, it, this is it, and I can't entertain any other possibility, um, and so I can't add, I can't subtract to this idea, because I have, I have the idea, I have it here, um, and so much of the time what God wants to do with us is he wants us to hold it with an open palm, and he wants us to allow him to add, to subtract, um, or to even change completely out what we had in our hand to begin with. That's good. That's cool. good. Awesome. I glad, we, that glad we solved it. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Amazing Perplex podcast. Uh, we so appreciate it. Um, for, for everyone who sticks with us through the, you know, through the one, sticks us through an entire episode, kudos to you. Um, and also people who just keep listening when we put them up and um, enjoy it and find life from that. We just really appreciate that and glad that we can be that. Um, thanks for listening again. Grace, peace, and love.